is the Asala Puja, the day that the full moon of July, which is traditionally the celebrated as the day that the Buddha gave his uh, first sermon. And so we chanted that Tamajaka Pawatana Sutta in the Pali. That's the That was the, the first sermon of the Buddha, and uh, that after his enlightenment. So this is uh, setting the the wheel of Dharma rolling. So that is the means that he set into motion this particular uh, teaching, the Four Noble Truths, at that time. And so you know this this. A wheel is something, once you set it rolling, it, it gathers momentum. But it's, uh, you know, it also can cease. But you can see, that we witness here, that this is the, the Dharma wheel still rolling. <laughs> and by this, from my own experience, of course, this is, uh, this is the teaching that I've used uh, for my practice over these many, many years. It's interesting because I, I started out with Zen Buddhism in the, in the 50s, Japanese-style Zen, as it, was, that was, as it was modernly interpreted on the west coast of uh, the United States. So I don't know if it was accurate or not, but that was it was better than nothing anyway, and uh, that was a a style. Then, uh, in my experience of Zen in those days, never I never mentioned the Four Noble Truths. <coughs> so it had a, a more enigmatic style, you know, the koan and the kind of the Zen master that that uh, puts you through an ordeal until you suddenly awaken. So this, uh, this awakening uh, is, the, is the really the essence, is the whole purpose of the Buddhist teaching. It's a teaching of awakening. 
And the word Buddha itself means awakened. So this is the word awakened. You know, we, we can assume we're awake all the time when we're not asleep. But usually we're lost in our own thoughts and emotions, caught up in anxiety or compulsions, uh, you know, attachments of all sorts, uh, fears, desires go rampant. So we're, we're not really awake. We're, we're, you know, our eyes might be open and we assume we're awake, but we're caught into this uh, turmoil of thoughts and emotions and habits without any perspective. You know, if you don't awaken to that, then you, then you merely just get overwhelmed by the complexities of life as you get, as you grow up and get older. Because the the conditioned realm that we live in, the realm of the senses and thoughts, emotions, feelings, sensory realm that we experience through this form, the human body, the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, the brain, the conditioning of the mind, the emotional habits that we've acquired and the memories, thoughts, opinions, attitudes, assumptions that, that we hold to. You know, they, if, if that's all we know and that's what we identify with, then you're, you're not awake. You're a conditioned creature. You're a victim or a creature of habit, putting it in modern terms. Because, you know, if you haven't got the best, you know, if you, you know, if you didn't have the best that life has to offer, then, and none of us can claim that, you know, that I wasn't born into a situation where everything was perfect. Well, then somehow you get, you acquire all the uh, delusions and fears and anxieties of your parents and your, all the biases and prejudices of your ethnic conditioning, your social position and so forth. And, and all this kind of simmers and fulminates in the, in the human mind. And what do you get? You get wars and endless quarrels and acrimony. Uh, in the in the world, in the societies, and in the and in our own minds, so we have to spend a lot of money going to uh, psychologists and taking drugs and doing everything to kind of calm it down a bit, because the 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 big word of the present day is uh, stress, and people are stressed. And this is interesting, I don't remember this word being so significant before, but in the past 20 years, it's, you hear this all the time. People feel that their lives are stressful. And then, of course, you can blame it on the high tech or the, the uh, busyness of life and Western materialism, and you can, you can always find a reason to feel stressful, blame it on demanding parents or inconsiderate uh, partners or ungrateful children or whatever. <laughs> so we, we, can, we can always uh, you know, analyze why we feel stressed out and, and 
see it as, see as a cause of as something from outside ourselves, or we can internalize it as saying, I'm just a kind of a neurotic person, and I create stress in my mind because I'm so neurotic. And it's also due to a neurotic society. Um, materialism, it's due probably the fault of the Americans and uh, George Bush. <laughs> Osama bin Laden. So this is, uh, this, but if you notice, when you're blaming somebody else or even yourself, when you're caught in blaming, trying to find the, what is that which creates stress for me, either as some personal flaw or some, something caused from outside, you're still caught, you're not awakened yet. You're merely assuming stress is something that's yours that you shouldn't have, that's something wrong, something bad that you have to get rid of that makes you suffer and makes your life miserable. Either you've got to run away or do something or, or uh, try to change your way of thinking. <coughs> or some people have the insight into awakening. And so this, is, this awakenness is, uh, is not something difficult or complex. But because uh, it's not something that we, maybe we, it's not something that culturally is uh, emphasized. You know, from my own cultural background, and awakening was never, was never a part of my cultural conditioning. You know, it was more ideals, how, how I should, what I should become. And so, say, the American uh, uh, background that I'm from was very idealistic. We're full of shoulds of how, how I should be and, and, and giving me a whole list of ideals that I should live up to. And a lot of fears around uh, sinking into hellish states or depressions or negative mental states or going crazy, losing my mind, becoming a failure. So that the, the uh, cultural conditioning which has a tremendous effect on how one interprets experience, and that is, is determined by trying to become something, like try to live up to high standards and uh, high principles, values, and uh, endlessly try to, to move in that direction by becoming, trying to become something. And also at the tame, same time, that along with that desire to become is a, is a fear that you can't do it. Because the human condition uh, isn't an ideal condition. You know, when you look at your own life, uh, just the, the, the state of being a human, having a human body with senses. Not an ideal. We, we try maybe to to perfect the body, and so much effort in trying to perfect our bodies, make them perfect. Uh, and so much money is made these days, and you can offer a promise of having uh, the perfect body. And <laughs> or, the, 
or they, they're trying to, to make yourself into some ideal personality, some perfectly normal, healthy, well-adjusted uh, person. But these are all ideas, you know. The idea of a perfectly normal, healthy, well-adjusted, uh, balanced personality and, and a, with a perfect, perfectly healthy physical body. Never seen it, you know. It's an ideal, you know. It's a, it's a high standard. It's certainly, uh, you know, something that we would all like to have. But in the awakened state that the Buddha points to is noticing the way it is, not, not trying to make things perfect according to some preconception of, of perfection, but actually awakening to the, to the way things are within the limitations, the conditions that I have to experience as an individual being. Because when you reflect on that's all there is. It's just this, you know, this. I've, I've had to live with it, incarcerated in this form nearly 69 years. And, uh, you know, I've certainly uh, seen all kinds of things I don't like about it. And, um, Creates, I can, I'm very good at uh, creating suffering and about my physical state or about my emotional habits or my character. I've never been able to make myself into an ideal personality, if you notice. My personality is not perfect. And you all experience the flawed personality I have because you have to live with me. And then you can see, uh, uh, you know, the, the, uh, I'm not as young as I used to be. You know, uh, the sign, the wrinkles are showing now. And, the, and, the, and, you know, I'm going to, I'm moving in that direction. You know, senility, old age. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty soon I'll embarrass you all, sit up here and drool all over myself. <laughs> and you'll have to apologize for it. <laughs> but I can still maintain a good show once in a while and, you know, when I have to uh, present myself in, a in an acceptable, hopefully pleasing way. <clears throat> but the but the um, awakened state is, uh, is, the, is what uh, the Buddha teaching points to. Now the Buddha's teaching is a pointer. And this, this is very important, I think, for us to realize because we come from, uh, most of us come from cultures and societies that, that are very reasonable you know, based on reason and logic. And so we, we, we have developed uh, a, a lot of rationality, uh, common sense, and 
uh, and we, we, we like things to be fair and just and, and how things should be. Fairness in England is very much, uh, you know, a, a highly regarded virtue to be totally fair. And justice, mercy, compassion, love, <coughs> all these ideals are very beautiful. You know, it's not to, to uh, diminish them in any way, but recognize the nature of an ideal. The ideal of unconditioned love, say. Love that, that makes no exceptions, you know, that is total and complete, unflawed. And so we can create an idea of that, can't we? Well, I, I've just have, I've just said it. You know, that, that's an ideal. And it's very inspiring, you know, to an ideal like that, I find inspiring. So you, it kind of lifts you up and, and you feel this, this uprising of inspiration. The energy rises up, you know, the, this, is, this inspires the mind. But remember, it is an ideal. So right now, an ideal is what? You can't, you can't, how do you, uh, you know, what do you do with it? As, as you have to live your life, you know, as life goes by, as you, as you get tired and get hungry or uh, get frustrated and, and um, frightened, jealous, angry and upset, besotted with certain obsessive thoughts and So then you say, well, you know, all is unconditioned love. After a while, you become cynical. You know, if you're too an idealist, you usually becomes a cynic later on. Because when you're young and you don't have that much experience with life, you can, I remember I was very idealistic. Saw my parents and I thought, I'm going to do better than they. You know, what a boring life my parents lived. And uh, I'm going to make my life better than my parents. I was very critical of them. Now, after all these years, I have much more compassion for my parents. <laughs> because you see, that, you know, when you live long enough, you realize that life isn't, you know, it isn't an easy experience of just happiness and continuous uh, success and praise and all the best. That everyone's life is, it has, you know, cycles of success and failure, happiness and suffering. Sometimes we get everything we want and then we lose it. You have to always, you know, we experience the loss of love. It's a common human experience. When somebody dies, you know, loved one dies or, or leaves or goes away, then that, that's common to all of us, that, that grief sense of loss is the common human emotion. That's part of being human. Being human is like this, having a physical body, isn't it? It gets old. And old age brings on other problems. Stiffness, arthritis, and, and uh, all kinds of your organs start wearing out, your heart. You know. Today I was talking to somebody that whose father just had a triple bypass, whatever that is, 
Like, it sounds impressive, but imagine, you know, having to go in and bypass your heart and things like this. <laughs> I don't know whether they have aluminium tubes or plasma. <laughs> but, but this whole sense of just trying to keep the thing going in some functional, de decently functional way. But this is part of human experience, isn't it? Just the, the aging process, and the sickness, the pain of, of just the physical, having a physical body, a sense, sensitive form that we live in. So awakeness is a state where we, we begin to, it's not, it's not grasping the idea of suffering as some kind of negative position we take on life, as a put down of experience. It's not if we're doing that then we'd, we've missed the whole point. You just get depressed. But if you, you know, when, when the Buddha pointed to, you taught the Four Noble Truths, it's an awakening teaching. It's not a teaching to be grasped and, be, and to be believed in. Because if you just grasp the Four Noble Truths intellectually, it, it takes you to a kind of nihilism or annihilationism, logically. You know, and you, if, you, if you just grasp that, that kind of cessation, isn't it? I mean, the Third Noble Truth, uh, cessation, and the path and nirvana all leads to cessation, emptiness, nothingness, on a logical level, you know, as an, I, as an idea, that's, that is, sounds like annihilation, doesn't it? So then, theistic people say, you know, that we're, we're, uh, Buddhism is a nihilistic philosophy, not even a religion, because uh, when you try to grasp the Four Noble Truths just on the intellectual plane. That's very, you know, the logic follows. But he also made it very clear that it wasn't nihilistic. So in, in when we chanted, it's uh, the Gama Sukhali Kanuyoko Atakilamatanuyoko, the two extremes of pleasure and pain. And the the Majjima Bhattibhata, the middle way. So then logically we think of a middle way as a kind of boring compromise, isn't it? You know, the kind of middle way, uh, uh, like the enlightenment of the Buddha means he's really just learned how to become indifferent, kind of like tasteless porridge. You know, it's not spicy and it's not bitter. It's just bland. And that doesn't sound very trying, but remember this is the, the thinking process. When we think of the middle way as, as some kind of dreary compromise between the extremes, because the extremes are much more exciting. Isn't it? The ideals, happiness and eternal love and... and uh, wealth and prosperity, go to heaven and live in eternity in a state of continuous unmitigated pleasure. Or that's one extreme, you know, or you can create, that's an idea, isn't it, of the mind. Or the other is, uh, if you're bad, then you go the opposite direction. 
unmitigated pain for eternity. So these are creations of the mind, you know, from one extreme to the other. So the middle way is not is not a, an intellectualized ideal. So when uh, the you know Buddha used words like nibbana, the the goal is to realize nibbana. Now that's a that's a rather strange word, you know. And it's it's a word that that points. It's not a definition of anything. You know, when you when as they try to quibble about the meaning or define the word nibbana, then you come up with some pretty strange interpretations. So it's a it's a kind of enigmatic word. And when you want to figure out what it is, you know, by think by thoughts and definitions, what happens? Is uh, you can't figure it out, and it sounds, and then you immediately think of it as some kind of extreme. You know, it's such a high attainment. Like I've heard Buddhists in Thailand and Sri Lanka say, you know, nibbana is such a high attainment. It's that nobody can do it anymore because we're too coarse. You know, it's not like the time of the Buddha where the Buddha just had to say a few words and, and they become enlightened, realize nibbana immediately. And, and so that we can kind of even place nibbana in such a high place in our minds that it's, it's totally beyond us. So that means we're still thinking about it, trying to grasp ideas and define it. And then finally we give up, so we place it so high that we just, you know, we make it so ultim ultimately refined and, and so high that there's no hope in even trying to get it. So you, you, you hear Buddhists say, well, you know, nobody can realize Nibbana in these days, so just do good, you know, give dana to the monks, that's you could be born in the heavenly realm. So some people will settle for that, you know, have a better birth next time in some more uh, pleasurable realm. So this is where the, the awakening uh, is, the, is what the Buddha is suggesting to us. Now, what is awakening then? How can I define awakening? You know what, you know, look up, look it up in the Pali Dictionary or the Oxford Dictionary. What is awakeness and uh, awakening? And we can get into, into discussions, Dharma discussions about awakening and not be awake you know, caught in views and, and ideas and definitions of awakening. But awakening isn't something, you know, you need to, to figure out. It's something, it's an imminent act. It's attention, isn't it? It's bringing your attention to the present. It's learning to recognize, to be here, to be fully present. To, to not just try to project your views or your thoughts or 
uh, onto the, the, the realm around, onto the, the place you're in, but to begin to recognize, if you're doing that, how you create thoughts and you create emotions and you, you get caught up in your emotional habits and your views and you awaken to it. So this is what we call sati uh, panya sati sampachanya, awareness, awakened, attention, all these words convey this sense of here and now. So it's non-conceptual, you don't, you know, the, the more you try to figure it out, the, the, the you know, you, you, you just go around in circles. And so you have to trust your own experience of it. You know, say, how can I awaken? You say, wake up. How do you wake up? <laughs> and, uh, you know, when it's not something I can, I can, you know, uh, make you do. It's something that you do. And it's not something that's difficult or or beyond anyone's ability, that's, you know, we're all, this is, this is uh, what the Buddha is asking us to do, is not do something so extreme that only very rare uh, kind of superhuman beings can, can possibly do it. And it's what we can all do. And then the, the, the noble truth of suffering, of dukkha, Dukkha is so, such a common, you know, so banal. Nothing special about it. And yet, yet this is put into context of a noble truth rather than a, than a depressing fact of life. So this awakening to suffering, because, you know, modern, most of us have, most people have spent a lifetime trying to find happiness uh, by running away from suffering. So the attitude then is changing, you know, and it's understanding dukkha, understanding suffering is the insight in the, into the first noble truth. Understanding that means to awaken, suffering is like this. And I'm not saying suffering is, is caused from, you know, blaming anybody for it, but just recognizing, I'm not trying to figure out why I suffer and who's to blame for it, but it's it just the, the recognition of dukkha is like this, is understanding. Varinyayanti, suffering should be understood. And the second noble truth is the, is the um, causes of suffering. So that's the Desire, grasping desire. Desire is not the cause of suffering. When you examine the, the second noble truth. Because if you, you know, the desire is the cause of suffering, so we have to get rid of desire. That, that's logical, you know. But that's not what we're interested in, in, in getting rid of desire. But knowing desire and letting, it, letting go of desire, not, not attaching to it anymore. So when we're not awake, when we're not in the awakened state, we tend to attach to desires. 
We identify with our desires, our ambitions, our hopes, our aspirations. We had, uh, with our sensual desires, we're all attached to our sensual desires as a self. And, we're, and we have attached to desire to get rid of things, desire to, to get rid of anger, and desire to get rid of jealousy and fear and, and dirt and filth and corruption and unfairness and injustice and all the rest. So desire... There's three kinds of desires, sensual pleasure, desire for becoming, desire for getting rid of. So then this is the letting go, pahatapanti, this, this uh, paha, Pali means to let go. It doesn't mean to get rid of, it's not a rejection, it's not a judging. It's not a, uh, a condemning of anything. It's allowing something to be what it is, rather than grasping it and being overwhelmed and becoming our desires. We become, we, we, we awaken to desire, to dunha. These, these, and they're quite, those three categories, gama dunha, pawa dunha, dunha, I found those very useful for reflection. Just to see how, how refined dunha can be and how subtle dunha can be in the attachment to it. So as you awaken to this, the attachment, the ubadana, then your insight is to let go. Let go is the insight into the second noble truth. And the third is the Truth is the cessation of suffering. Dukkha niroda. So suffering, when you let go of something, when you allow some, any condition, now you're working on the mental level a lot in, in meditation, you know, on emotions and thoughts, feelings, uh, sensory uh, experience. Because this is what will happen when we're sitting here. We're going, you know, no matter if you have your eyes closed and you're, and, and you're, you know, you're, you're not uh, kind of going around looking or listening to things or anything, but you, you know, the senses pick up what's, what's happening. So you're finding, you know, the, the, uh, you're listening to noises or you're experiencing physical discomfort or emotional stress can arise. And even in, uh, midst of a peaceful place like this, you can start feeling emotionally stressed out just by emotions that are rising up into consciousness. So then, when you just let them be, you've, you you had the insight into letting go, letting them be, then what happens? When you let something be what it is, what happens to it? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> you find out for yourself. <laughs>
So this is a way, you know, that's sustained awareness, isn't it? You can't just grasp the idea of, of everything ceases and, and then go along with that assumption, just grasping the, the idea of it. You witness it, you see it yourself. So it's a, a realization. The Satchikata Pandi in the Third Noble Truth, the realize, recognize, like realization means reality. You're, you're aware, you're awakened to reality. It's not, a, it's not a construction, it's not a fantasy. So when you let something cease, allow things to be what they are, allowing them to cease, then you realize cessation, they, they cease, their cessation is like this. And what, when you allow something to cease, you know, your personality, your ego, your emotional habits, they all cease in this moment. You know, if you let them, if you allow them to. And what's left when, when there's no personality and you're not attached to all kinds of emotions and ideas and views and opinions. So then that's the realization, the reality of Nibbana, non-attachment. The reality of non-attachment. So Nibbana is Nibbana. So I mean, Nibbana isn't high up in kind of remote uh, ideal that that we can't ever know for ourselves. Unless you want to believe that. You can believe it if you want and see what happens. <laughs> but what I'm trying to do is bring this teaching into a way that works, you know, so we're actually uh, practicing according to uh, the Buddha's suggestions and pointers. And then that, then that, of course, the fourth noble truth is developing or cultivating. Pawana is the word. And in Thai, they use the word a lot. It means meditation, pawana. Or de cultivating, developing in English. Uh, meditating in English tends to sound too much like sitting, you know, meditation. You say, well, I'm going to meditate, it means you're going to sit inside the temple. Uh, and so you've got to be careful about the words because of the way we limit the, the kind of inadequacy of language, really. Remember, language is inadequate. It's not a perfect tool. <coughs> so this is where this awakeness, it's a realizing, knowing the reality, knowing the Dhamma in a direct way, rather than views and opinions and theories about Dhamma that you get out of scriptural teachings or other teachers or whatever, you know, no matter how good those might be, they can't liberate you. So only you can do that. But then the, the Eightfold Path, Samma Ditti, Samma Sangapo, right understanding or right seeing, right view, samaditi, samasangapo, intended attitude, a, a kind of recognition. 
toward, uh, then it leads into morality, into taking responsibility for, for our uh, functional lives within these forms. Samavaja sama kamanto sama achivo, and then kind of recognize it, then you, you're not going to just be a helpless victim of life and, and uh, this uh, kind of complain about everything because it's so disappointing, not what you expected, but you, you rise up, you take charge, you know, I'm gonna, you can be responsible for speech and action, how you live your life as a member of society on this planet. And then Sama Vayamo Samasati Sama Samadhi, right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration. Now this, these, this Eightfold Path, remember, is a thinking process. You can only have Samaditi, then Samasangapo. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a linear, remember language and thinking is linear. <coughs> it's dualistic function. So then we think of it as this, and then this, and then this. But actually these all work together. The more you trust in the awareness, in awakenness, then these, this path is developed in daily life. In every moment it can be developed. The more you trust in awareness, in, in awakening. So this, and that's, uh, so there's the insight into the first noble truth, the understanding, recognizing it, you know, you're not just idealizing or or attaching to views about suffering, you're, you're looking at the reality of it as you, as you feel it or experience it. And then the causes, the attachment to wanting things, not wanting things, and so forth, the attachment to desire. What is it that's aware of desire? You know, then we tend to judge, oh, I have a lot of desires. You know, I have too many, I'm, I'm full of desires, and then we identify with desire. But actually, <clears throat> if you don't do that, you just notice desire. What is desire as a real, as an experience? You know, for me, I think it's, it's what, what it pulls you, you know, it's the desire for something. You're, you feel this, this urge toward it. You want something that you don't have yet. Either you imagine it, you know, some ideal that you'd like to attain, or some object, sensual objects, or some, some beautiful object you have a desire for, you feel this attraction or pull, you want it because you don't have it. So recognize, you begin to notice desire is like this, or desire to get rid of. I'm so fed up with, with uh, my uh, anger or my... Uh, anxiety and worry. I, want to, I don't want to worry anymore. I want to get rid of worry and anxiety and fear. I want to become a healthy, normal, balanced person. So I want to become something that I, that I regard I'm not. I'm not a healthy, balanced person yet. I want to become one. I've got to get rid of all these neurotic habits. So what is it? Wanting to get rid of things. Always wanting to deny, run away from something. Unpleasantness, pain, uh, sickness, 
dangerous situations, emotional experiences, uh, problems, social problems, relationship problems, or wanting to solve them all, have everybody in harmony and run away from any kind of acrimony or emotional difficulties that we might pick up from others or our own reaction to difficult situations. So you, you begin to awaken the desire to get rid of is like this. The whine of the whinge of the monk and none is, I want harmony and peace. <laughs> and so you get a bunch of whinging samanas, you know. Why do we have to be like this? Why do we have to? <laughs> and because we, that's an ideal, isn't it? If everything were just peaceful and harmonious and the lion lambs could kind of be chums and be, everything be fair and just and right, I'd be so happy. But notice that the awakened state is not, it's not a whinge, it's not whinging or complaining, it's recognizing that things are like this, you know, arising, ceasing, changing. You can't, how can you make it? You know, you can create an idea of harmony, but, you know, sometimes things are harmonious, sometimes they're not. And the conditions for harmony are there, then it's harmonious. But, it, and when it's disharmony, then it's like this. But if you trust in your awareness of it <coughs> and begin to see the, the longing for harmony when it's not present, or when you feel, now we're really harmonious now, and I want it to stay this way, you know, you want to get very controlling. You know, you see somebody come in who looks disharmonious, you want to get rid of them. You know, they'll, they'll cause disharmony, so we won't, we'll chuck them out because uh, we want to control and have harmony all the time, you begin to see this, this attachment to desire for becoming, desire for getting rid of. Once you see that, and you have to, you know, really, really recognize it, it's not, not a, a theory, something you can actually witness to and observe, then letting go. Then the realization Letting go is like this. Just things cease. Cessation is like this. So, you know, if we allow things to go, we realize peacefulness. That doesn't depend on conditions, on things being, uh, <coughs> you know, conditions for harmony and peace. We're beginning to realize that's something you know, we uh, recognize that within our, it, as something that, that is now, that we can take refuge in and trust, is this awareness. So the, that's the gate to it, is through awakening, we realize peace is our true nature. And then our life then, in terms of practical situation as a human being, living life, time in this human body and on this, in, on this planet is cultivating this. Because you can have the insight, but it's so easy to go back right into the old habit. You know, it's easy to 
habits, no matter how bad they are, they're what we're used to. So they're e much more easy for us to, to follow than to awaken, to trust in awakening. So um, this is just an encouragement on this day for, for uh, reflection on this and to uh, bring back into your consciousness this, this teaching, Four Noble Truths. It's, uh, you know, I really find this incredibly profound, useful, practical uh, teaching. And, and, and I've said before, if this is all you have, if, if that's all you need. You know, Four Noble Truths is rather complete in itself. It's not, there's nothing missing in it. If you're willing to explore it, investigate So I offer this for reflection.